Well, good morning, Watermark. My name is Harrison Ross. Uh, I have had the privilege to be a part of this body for 10 years, on staff here for 10 years. Got a chance to love many of your kids, if you have kids, uh, and am excited now to be a part of what God is doing out in Rockwall and be the campus pastor out there. Excited to be with you this morning. Something my family is in the middle of is we are moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone kind of knows that and has this feeling in their heart and in their gut. There's a few like small percentage, the 2% of people that go, oh, how exciting. But most of people look at me and go, oh, because there's nothing good about moving. I mean, supposedly there's, you know, the house and all that, but there is no good about moving. You gotta deal with all of your stuff and you gotta take all of your junk and put it in a box. I feel like we're just shuffling our stuff around. And so my wife and I moved into this house eight years ago and uh, it was just she and I and now we have four kids and so we have four extra humans and their stuff that we add to it. And so we're just packing up junk and we've, we've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. We moved this next week and uh, we have probably 50 or 60 boxes already in our house and I still walk through and it looks like we have done absolutely nothing. We've got a whole house left to go. And I heard somebody say that hell will be waking up every day and moving. <laughs> so you don't want that. But my dad always told me growing up, no, 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 no. Hell will be waking up every day and helping your friends move. And not only that, it gets worse. It'll be waking up every day and showing up at 8 a.m. ready to go, and they're not because they haven't started packing yet. And so you gotta wait till 11.30, eating bad donuts and cheap coffee. Man, good thing I don't have anything planned for the rest of the day, buddy. Because you have that spiritual gift of a pickup truck, and so you're roped into <laughs> the move. And so my friends this week will get a chance to experience that and move and hopefully we'll be ready. But some of you guys here this morning are not just packing up junk and joking about hell. You're going through actual junk in your life and walking through what feels like hell. Maybe it's your circumstances. Maybe it's choices you've made and the consequences that can come from that. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial, it's just hard. You don't know why, and it's gone on and on and on. And if you're like me, in those times when it doesn't make sense and you don't understand, and it's just hard and it doesn't feel right, it's easy to look up to God and just go, are you even there? Do you care about me? Have you forgotten me? Where are you? But what I wanna remind you of this morning, what this whole series has reminded us of, is he's not far off. He's not forgotten you. He's with you. He is moving towards you. And he thinks far greater of you than you could ever think or imagine. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we're going through, he's God and we're not.
This whole series, we've been studying Romans six through eight, dying to live. And to just remind you what we've been going through, Romans six told us that we are dead to sin. It is no longer the ruler and master over us. We are slaves to righteousness. And not only that, we're dead to the law. We're dead to just religious practice. That doesn't have a hold on us anymore. And the beauty of Romans eight reminds us that we can live life by the spirit of God and walk by the spirit. That we have an inheritance, we are heirs to the throne that the Spirit of God is interceding for us and that we can have hope in the midst of suffering. And at the end of these beautiful chapters, some would say Romans 8 is maybe the greatest chapter in the Bible. And at the end of it, Paul says this in verse 31. It says, what shall we say to these things? What do we say? Woo! Yes! Holy moly! That's so good. Hallelujah. Praise God. What else is there to say? But that's not what we say most times. We go, nah, surely that's too good to be true. Or we personalize even more and you go, no, bro, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my past hurt. You don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know what my pastor did to me. I don't. But God does. That doesn't make any of these things less true. And the beauty of this passage that we're gonna sit in is it tells us the why, and not only the why, what God thinks of you. And I'll give it all away. What God thinks of you is that God is for you and he loves you. The God of the universe, he sees you and he knows you. He is for you and he loves you. I promise. I can prove it. I know it. And you can too. God is for you. Paul starts this beautiful passage, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God is for you, and if God is for us, who can be against us? But most of us look at that and we read it backwards. We don't believe that truth about ourselves. Do you believe God is for you? Most of us go, no, it feels like God's against me. So if God's against me, who's going to be for me? No, Paul explicitly says, God is for you. It literally means God has favor on you. You are his favored one. His favor is poured out on you, and the proof is Jesus. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. One of my boys this week, Neil, he turned three. And when you're three, you have the whole world ahead of you and everything's exciting and you have no idea what you want. 
Neil, what kind of party do you want? I don't know, a green one. Of course you do, buddy. And this week we just got to celebrate him and have fun with him. And hey man, what do you want to eat? Chick-fil-A, okay? Like when? All day. So we went to Chick-fil-A for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. And we just partied with him because we love him and we had a great time hanging with him, watching him turn three. And then I, get, I knew I was getting the chance to come and tell you guys of the goodness of God and his grace and how much he cares for you. And so you know what? I'm gonna sacrifice my son for you. I'll allow him to be sacrificed so that you could know him. Who would do that? That brings tears to me just thinking about it. I love my son. I don't care about you enough. But God does. God didn't kill his son, but he didn't stop it because he cares for you. The Greek that says he didn't spare his own son, it literally means he did not save his son. God the Father did not save Jesus so that you could be saved. There's no way I could do that. And I don't have to, I'm not God. It's not on me, it is his to do, and he willingly did that. And if he would not spare his own son, when you're his son and when you're his daughter, how much more would he graciously give to you his child? The proof is Jesus. And Jesus willingly did it in submission and love to the Father because of the resurrection. The death was not the final end, it was because of the life that now is imparted to you and his righteousness, praise be to God. The proof is Jesus, and Paul gives it here. In verse 32, it says that he gave us his own son. 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God is the righteous judge. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who has any ownership of you? Who can say that you're not good enough? Nobody, Jesus owns you because of his blood, because he gave his life for you. And not only that, who raised to newness of life, who is now your life. He has given your life so that you can have life. He is our life and is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He is our advocate. You have the favor of God on you. God is for you. He's not your enemy. Unless you don't know him, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not have faith by grace through faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, then you are separated from him. You're an enemy of him. And you don't have to be. He loves you. He has poured himself out for you and you can know him and experience his goodness and grace through Jesus Christ. But if you know him, God is not your enemy. He's not trying to cosmically discipline you. He has not forgotten you. He is for you. And if God is for us, who could be against us? Why? Why would he do this? Why would he willingly give of, himself, of his son in that way? Why? Because he loves you. God loves you. 
Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God loves you. Whenever I go get a haircut, I always like to go to somebody different. It's just kind of like a little haircut roulette. And, uh, <laughs> and I get a chance to sit in their chair and hear about their story for an hour, or probably more like it, they're stuck with me for an hour. And I get a chance to hear about their life and what makes them tick. And we make some small talk and we go here and there. And uh, really, I get into this chair and I have no idea what's going to be the end of it. Never met this guy or girl. And uh, I am literally risking my life for the sake of the gospel, at least my haircut. And at the end of the day, hey, maybe it's a botched haircut. And I can go, hey, let me tell you how your life is not botched in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so JP, if you've ever heard him, always starts with, hey, do you have a faith? A what? A faith? A face? What? And so I usually get in the chair and we make some small talk and I say, hey, what do you think of God? I'll tell you what I think of him. <laughs> usually people have something that they, they go to and, uh, and some thought in the sky and it's usually theologically inaccurate. But it's a starting, it's a starting place to just go, man, where are you at? What do you think? And then I bring it a little deeper and I go, hey, what do you think God thinks about you? Most of the time they go, man, I think he's disappointed in me. I think he's angry at me. I think he looks at me and thinks that I'm not good enough. He's disappointed in my abortion. He's angry at my divorce. He looks at me and just goes, bro, you've been hanging around church this whole time. What's going on? Could you not be better? And I get to look at him and I go, you're wrong. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you. Who can separate us? from the love of Christ. What Paul is saying here is this is inferred. This is something that you have. It's not something you attain. It's not something that you rise to. It's not something you earn or perform for. If you know Jesus, the love of God is yours. Who can separate us from that? Shall tribulation, or could be translated trouble or distress, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And it's interesting here that Paul starts with a who. Who can separate us? Satan? Your wife? Who? And then he goes to this list of what's. Because most of the time, our minds aren't just thinking about a who, but that's stuff that we've done or has been done to us that gets in the way. So what's your list of what's? What is it that you think makes you separated from God or could separate you from God or that thing that you're like, yeah, but? Is it your circumstances, your what ifs, your theological wrestlings, your sin? Because most of us feel like our sin, 
our choices that we have made, where we run far from God, or things that have been done to us that have hurt us, that why wouldn't God stop that? We think that those things make us unworthy of God, but especially unworthy of his love. But what's interesting here is, is sin is nowhere in this list. Of all the things that could separate us from the love of Christ, nothing is here about sin. Why? Why is it not there? Because it's dead. Because it no longer has power on you because of Jesus Christ. It can't separate you because it has no hold on you. It is not your master. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. But that's not how I feel. It's not what I often think. And so if sin can't, if now I have freedom from my sin, then what else could? And he goes through this list of things that we could walk through in the Christian life. But what's interesting is most of us in America will probably experience the first two. We'll probably experience trouble or hardship. But very few of us will go through real persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or your head getting chopped off. Yet, you may not have gone through that, but guys, it's coming. And will you be ready? This list is all things that Paul has gone through, or knew he could gone through, or he did eventually go through. This list of things is, is not something he's saying that you won't go through as a believer, but the promise is that if you do, and even when you walk through suffering, God is with you. He is for you, and he loves you. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you're in the middle of, whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever you're knee deep in, our what does not define our who. What's going on in my life does not define who loves me and whose I am and who tells me what's most true in my life. Our past, our current circumstances don't define us. In pain, in persecution, or in perishing, God is for you and he loves you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? Because it's one thing to academically acknowledge it. It's one thing to cognitively know it, but it is a whole different thing to receive it, to believe it, and to walk in light of it. That the God of the universe loves you. He knows everything about you, everything. Every dark crevice, every twisted thought, every wayward night, every lingering scroll, every desire, every diagnosis, every broken relationship, every action, and he loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's John three sixteen. That he 
so loved the world, and not just the whole world, and not just this whole people group and whole globe, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And all of us can take this idea of God, our heavenly father, and we can project our experiences and our upbringing and what we think of fathers and our father and men in general, and we can project that onto God. But God is not this foreboding character that is just above us and looking down on us and disappointed in us. He is our loving father who comes down to us, who sent his son Jesus to be like us, even though he's nothing like us. And not only to just come touch earth a little bit, but then to come be with us. And he comes around us and he grabs us and he shows us his love. As a dad of three boys and a little girl, I'll often love to grab my kids in the backyard and I'll sit down in the tree fort and I'll just grab one of them and I'll hold them and I'll stroke their hair and I'll just tell them I love you. I'm proud of you. Nothing will change that. And that's what God does for me. He holds me and he strokes my hair and he tells me, I love you. I'm proud of you. Nothing will change my love for you. And guys, he loves you. The God of the universe loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are held in his embrace. He has wrapped his arms around you. And even if you cannot wrap your head around that, his arms are tightly wrapped around you. Nothing is gonna change that. That's forever true of me and you. My porn addiction in my past doesn't change that. My miscarriage doesn't separate that. My fear, my want for control, the tone that I use with my kids or my wife, my sin, my circumstances, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so whatever you're in the middle of, whatever's happened in your past, whatever's coming towards you in the future, Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is faithful, even when we are faithless. Paul says, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That word conquerors is continually victorious, even when it doesn't seem like it, even especially when it doesn't feel like it. Paul has written these letters to churches across all of Asia while he's sitting in jail, sitting in chains, facing a death sentence, and he just says, God wins. Even when the scoreboard looks like zero for Christians, God wins. He's for you and he loves you and he's sovereign over you. There is a sweetness that we have in Jesus, a confidence that we have in Jesus. 
and the confidence we have in the sovereignty of God, no matter what we are going through, he is with us, he is for us, and he loves us. What do we do with that? What then shall we say to these things? And what you do with it is you rest in it. You enjoy it. You soak in it. And you allow your mind and body and soul and spirit to believe it because it's true of you in Christ. Mr. Rogers, our uh, beloved neighbor, would often end his show with a moment of silence where he wanted to, to give his friends just a moment to reflect on their life and who's impacted their life. And even at his Life Achievement Award at the Emmys, when he could thank anybody and say whatever he wanted, he just said, hey, I wanna give you a moment to think about who has impacted your life and help you become who you are. And if Mr. Rogers can do it on a TV show, we sure can do it in church. And so I wanna give you a moment to sit in the presence of God, to reflect on that truth, either that you need to be reminded of after 40 years of walking with him, or you walked in here and you never knew that that could be possible to be loved that way by the God of the universe. I want you to, wherever you are, to imagine you are sitting somewhere held in his arms, sitting on the tree fort, sitting on the couch with his arms wrapped around you as he strokes your hair and he just reminds you, I love you, I'm proud of you, and nothing will change that. Take 60 seconds to be with your father. he delights in you. And so not only do we rest in it and enjoy it, what we do with it is we share it. When you go and you get some amazing new dessert at some new dessert place, you don't just go, oh, I'm not telling anybody about that. That place is mine. You go, have you tried this? Have you had a donut that's shoved with ice cream in the middle? It's amazing. You tell everybody about it. Or you go to this new restaurant where you have this unbelievable meal, you're gonna shout it from the rooftops and say, you gotta go there. Go get a reservation three or six months from now. It's unbelievable. If we're gonna do that with food, why would we not do that with the love of God? 
2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, for the love of Christ compels us. It sends us, it moves us to go. The ESV says that it controls us. The NIV says that it has power over us and compels us to others. God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he loves the world so much that he's sending you to love them like Jesus. Jesus loves you. He loves you. That's not some childish song that we're supposed to be like, oh yeah, that's cute. I mean, I guess God loves me, yeah. That is what is most fundamental to our faith and overwhelmingly true of us, of how God thinks of us through his son, Jesus. He loves you. And I have a friend who just makes a practice and a discipline of engaging people with that simple truth anywhere he goes. And so as he's at the grocery store, as he's at his kid's school, wherever he is, he engages people and he just, hey, hey can, I, can I tell you something real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Jesus loves you. What, what? Hey, look me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes right here. I want you to look at me. Jesus loves you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so awkward. No, no, no. Look me in the face. He loves you. He loves you. And he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves every single person that way. And a lot of times we're pointing out what people don't have so much that we miss reminding them of what is most true about them. That Jesus loves you. And so this week, I've just made it a discipline to go try it wherever I'm at, to just, to move through the awkwardness, and it is awkward every time. And you just look through and go, Jesus loves you. I looked at a lady and she goes, oh, he loves you too, baby? And I was like, oh wow, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> See you later. But it opens up conversation. People are like, man, what, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. How about you just say what is true? Jesus loves you. And let God do the rest. And you'll be amazed at what he opens up and who opens up. I got a chance this week to tell it to a man who has been battling cancer for five years and he's angry at God. Hey man, Jesus loves you. A pastor whose wife left him because of his sin and choices that he made. Hey man, he loves you. He's not done with you. My neighbor who I've gotten to love and walk alongside for eight years, who's going through some hardship and some struggle in his marriage, who is, does not love God or even want God and doesn't want religion, hey man, whatever you think, Jesus loves you. Who have you walked by this last week that needs to hear that truth? If you know it, if it's something that you have and it's true for you, why would you not share that? with a hurting and broken world that doesn't know it. Another friend of mine was going and getting her eyebrows did. She's laying there and this lady's just ripping her face apart like <laughs> telling about how ripped apart her life is. Yeah, I hate my boyfriend and my life's this. And, and she's just sitting there just going, what do I do? She's in a mask and she's like, all I wanted to do was look her in the face and just say, Jesus loves you. And I said, why didn't you? I don't know, it was awkward. There's people and I've gotta be still and I don't know what to do. 
Guys, you know what's awkward? Jesus hanging naked on a cross for you so that you could have life in him. You know what's amazing? The cross of Jesus Christ, which led to his resurrection so that you could have life and this whole world could experience life in him. And he's sending you to proclaim the beautiful truth of Jesus to a hurting and broken world. Why wouldn't we? What's stopping us? What's keeping us from proclaiming that beautiful truth to them? Let's push through the awkwardness. Let's push through the persecution because nothing can separate us, not even moving. As terrible as it is, and so I told you that my family is moving, and what we're doing is we're moving to Rockwall to plant a church, and we're excited, and it is beautiful, and that community out there is incredible, but what we're literally doing I told you, I've been here for 10 years. I've been in my community group for 10 years. I've lived in this city. I've made relationships here. I've loved people in this body. I have deep relationships here. And I'm literally taking everything about my life and ripping it out because of the goodness of God. And as we do that, my wife and I have had conversations and we're just going, what are we doing? What if this fails? Like, what if we move all the way out here and we show up, no one else shows up, it's just us. Like, I don't know, God's good, ah. Like, what, what if none of this works out? What about our kids? What are they gonna think? What if, what if, that, that, that? And what we come down to is, what do we have to lose? If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Literally nothing. And so why wouldn't we risk it all? Those people out there in Rockwall, they're worth it. They're beautiful. They're amazing. They are disciples of Jesus, making disciples in their community. And Jesus loves them. And they are worth giving my life for. My kids are worth it. I want them to see mom and dad willing to risk their life for the gospel, having no idea what's going to come next. Success is not, it's succeeding. Success is Jesus and walking in obedience with him because God is worth it. He gave his son. Jesus went and gave everything, every part of his life, his own life, so that I could have life in him. And if he did it, why wouldn't I give him everything in return? I'm no martyr. I just believe that walking in obedience to what God calls me to it's gonna bring life to me and life to those around me. And so I'm just taking God at his word and I'm trusting in Jesus. If Jesus could leave the comfort of relationship with his Father in heaven and come down to give everything for me, why wouldn't I leave my own comfort so that others could know him? And so God may not be calling you to move to another city and plant a church. If he is, come to Rockwall. We meet on Sundays at four. We'd love to have you hop in with us. He may not be calling you to move across the world to go be a missionary and to give your life in that way, but he might be, and if he is, go. But what is he moving in you and calling you to give your life for? What is he moving in you to that next step of obedience and just saying, hey, go do this. What conversation? What, what person do you need to pick up the phone and call? What, what relationship do you need to go seek 
restoration. What ministry do you need to start? Who do you need to go down the street and just knock on their door and learn their name to show them the love of Jesus? Whatever he's moving in you to do, walk in obedience and it will give you life regardless of the outcome and the circumstances. How will you respond? What do you have to lose? Literally nothing. Because you're dead to it already. Christ has died and he took your old life with it and so you are raised to new life with him. Paul says, for I am sure, I am certain, I am positive, I am 100% that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are we afraid of and what do we have to lose? Nothing, because of Jesus. He is for us and he loves us and his love compels us to go. And so I want you to imagine with me, you're standing in a canyon the Grand Canyon, a beautiful canyon, and you're standing on this cliff face that goes straight down to your death. And you can see the other side. So you're on one side, and then imagine that God is on the other side of the Grand Canyon. And there's this amazing chasm in between that separates you because of sin. And even if you're incredibly athletic, you can't get enough running head start to jump to the other side. No amount of good works, you are not good enough, you cannot be good enough, you cannot do enough, you cannot earn enough, nothing will get you to relationship with God except for Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross for you, to pay the penalty of your sin, to take that upon himself, and more than that, to raise to new life so that you could have life. Jesus is the bridge. And so a lot of you have seen that and you know that, but I think what happens in the Christian life is we get in this pattern that we assume that we are not just secure, but we're kind of on this rickety rope bridge. Okay, I'm stepping out my faith and whoa! You gotta cling to the, to the cables of moralism. And I gotta just kind of like teeter my way through life and one bad move, my foot's gonna slip through this, this thing that's old and rickety, I'm gonna plummet to my death. But hopefully if I, if I just get by enough, I'll then go unscathed to the other side. Guys, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that because of Jesus Christ, God is for you and he loves you and you are secure in him. Jesus is the bridge that reconciles us to God. And as we stand on that bridge overlooking life and what he's calling us to, we can stand there not in fear, not in fear of failure, not in fear of falling, not in fear of whatever's coming our way, but we are engulfed in the love of God, wrapped by him, bound by his grace, bound by his love in a way that we are secure, not just for forever, not just eternal security, but we are secure and fastened by the love of God as his children. And so we can stand on the edge of that. And what do we have to lose? What do we have to fear? Nothing. And so Jesus just goes, jump! Like a bungee jump. Go enjoy life. Give it fully. This guy who's standing on the edge, when you're about to bungee jump, you're probably having all these things go through your head like, ah, ah, ah! 
But he finally gives into it, knowing that he's bound and knowing that he's secure, not by his chains, not by his sin, not by his fear, but in the love of God. Then he fully gives himself to that. And what's natural to come out is, God loves me! And he loves you! And you fully live life in Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? Come, dive into his goodness and grace. Take the plunge into the depth of relationship with him. You are wrapped in his love and come experience fullness of life in him, far greater than you could ever ask for or imagine. It is good, it is rich. All of us stand on the edge and we wanna teeter and we wanna shrink back in fear, but what if we just fully gave in? What if, what if all the believers in Jesus Christ just said, okay, God, I'm in. Whatever's coming, whatever it takes, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna walk by your spirit, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna trust that you're for me and you love me, and I'm gonna plunge into that, whatever it is that you've got, I'm in. Because that's what it looks like to live on mission. What if this week, every single person in this room Anybody that you engage with, you know that it is God sending you to remind them Jesus loves you. And you just trust God with whatever's next. Even if it winds you up in chains. What would it look like if everywhere we went, we just looked for people's eyes and told them, hey man, can you look me in the eyes for a second? I just want to remind you, Jesus loves you. What would it look like if we actually loved our neighbors? Not just gave him a little wave, but we leaned in and we invited him in. When we live the way that Jesus calls us to live, by loving one another, because of the love that he has for us, this world will be a different place. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We have nothing to lose. He has died so that we can have life. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever, will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. But Ephesians says that you have lavished upon us 
We do not deserve that. We cannot earn it. We cannot attain. We do not have to perform for it. It is just true of us for those who believe and surrender to you and trust their life in Jesus Christ. Lord, will we rest in it? Will you give us the grace to believe it, to not just know it, but to drink deeply of it? Lord, will your love, will your spirit transform us? And then Lord, would you send us boldly, by faith, having no idea what's gonna come next, to go love others, to tell them of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us live life, walking by the Spirit, because if God is for us, who can be against us? We love you. We now respond and worship to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.